Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Geralt of Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. To act otherwise. 3. I thought my eyes deceived me up on the stage, but I see now that it is you. Arthur of Garamore beamed at the four of them. He held two mugs of ale, gifts from tipsy patrons for a ballad well sung. It seems fate deigned we should meet again, my friends. Ethramel didn't know if it was fate so much as shit luck, but he smiled and spoke for everyone at the table. Good to see you, Arthur. A fine ballad, that. Really captured the tragedy of Signet and the difficulty of breaking his curse. It was quite an adventure we had. I still have nightmares of getting my throat slit like the committee. Arthur took a seat without being invited. But enough of that. Tell me of yourselves. What brings you all to Tamaria? It's the monster hunt, isn't it? And what happened to you since we last departed? The troubadour motioned to Ethromel's burned face and Carmignola's scarred throat. We ran into some trouble, the doctor said. Arthur nodded and looked around the table. And where's my companion in the arts? What's become of Cedra? Off to more profitable pastures. She decided to enjoy the patronage of a local lord in Kalmak, Jeremiah said. He thought of Mother Lana's first letter and how she mentioned that Cedra left with her new knightly companion. For a time, at least. I believe she's still on the road in Edern. It's hard to keep a troubadour from wandering, Arthur said. We can't help it, you know. When the muse calls, we must follow. Is that what brings you to Bedzinaponis Mena? Ethramel asked. Arthur drained his first mug. Aye, I heard tell of this hunt, and thought it might make a fine ballad. Only time will tell, I suppose. Do you know what's to be hunted? Everyone shook their head. Pity, the troubadour said. Well, whatever it is, I'm sure the Nilfgaardians will underpay for its head. This whole thing is a transparent ruse to win the trust of the townsfolk, if you ask me. I didn't ask you, Sevo said. He finished his ale and took Arthur's second mug without hesitation. I suppose you'll want to be joining us to hunt the monster. Arthur scratched his stubbled cheek. Well, the thought had crossed my mind. Why the fuck not, Sevo muttered. Tell me of your adventures then, Arthur said, clearly wanting to change the subject. The next round is on me. Jeremiah took it upon himself to sum up what had happened to them since the town of Undying with a heavy emphasis on his new patronage from the Church of the Eternal Fire. That was fine with Ethramel. He only stuck around for the free drink. The Witcher clearly had the same idea. The hunters at the bar, too. It seemed they were all just killing time until sunset. When all was said and done, Arthur grinned and said to Jeremiah, Working for the Church, eh? I've heard of love doing crazy things to people before. 
but can't say I've ever heard of it driving a man to religion. Jeremiah took a drink to hide his flushed cheeks. I don't know what you mean. Oh, come now. It's clear you're quite smitten with this mother Lana. Or at least you see her as more than just a business partner. And how do you know that? The craftsman asked. Because it's a troubadour's job to see the truth in all things. How else do you expect us to compose art? No need to be coy about it. My only question is, why did you leave her in the first place? Ethramel, who had not heard much of this mother Lana, also found himself curious. Jeremiah considered and said, Because I had business to attend to. I would not have been able to start my production line in Kalmak. Only the Mahakam dwarves had the equipment needed. Pity, Arthur said, touring with his empty mug. If you were to ask for my opinion, I don't believe there's anything in this world more important than true love. And when a man finds it, he would do well to hold on to it. Wealth and fame and glory simply pale in comparison. Carmeniola chuckled. Then why are you still wandering the roads? Because I haven't found true love yet, Arthur said. Or at least, no love that can rival my love for art. But believe me, the moment I find it is the moment I hang up my loot for good. Let us hope you find it soon, then, Zevo said. His breath stank of alcohol. Perhaps you're correct, Jeremiah said. But there's always time to make things right later. I decided this business opportunity was too important to pass up. Plus, it's what Lana wanted in the first place. The Witcher grunted. Ethramel decided to excuse himself before Zevo said or did something that got him in trouble. Besides, all Jeremiah's talk of business gave him an idea. Where are you headed? Carmignola asked. To the docks, Ethramel said. Assuming this town has one. The town did have docks. Two small jetties that sat on the Ismena River, to be precise. Ethramel knew the Ismena was a tributary of the Pontar River, which served his purpose well. What didn't serve his purpose was the Nilfgaardians occupying one of the jetties and loading a large boat with crates. The sorcerer made a point to steer clear of them. A merchant vessel was moored to the second jetty, and a fat man with long gray hair was shouting at the sailors unloading it. Come on, daylight's burning and these goods will be as useful as a chased whore if we don't get them stored properly. Ethramel waited until the man had a moment. He wiped sweat from his brow and sat on one of the crates. Excuse me, sir, but is that your ship? Aye, the man said. He looked at the scarred elf with distaste. Who's asking? A man with some goods that need to be shipped up the Pontar Valley. Quite possibly a lot of goods, which means there's a lot of profit to be made. Would you happen to have room on... He squinted at the golden writing scrawled on the ship's black wood. The River Lion. Depends on the goods. What's your name? Valdo of Edern. And yours? Captain Bathic of Rivia. I don't have time to talk business now, but I'll be in town for the next two days. Find me at the River's Rest, but only if you're serious. I don't suffer fools. Ethramel smiled. Nor do I, Bathic. Nor do I. 4. He heard muffled ringing. Carmagnola touched his left ear and saw blood on his fingertips. He tried to stand up from where he collapsed and found himself off balance. Beatrix stepped over the dead vampire, careful to avoid the pooling blood, and held out her hand. She had a fierce grin on her face. When they had first met a little over two years ago, Beatrix was quick to smile and laugh at Carmagnola's jokes. Now she only seemed to smile when she was killing something and Carmignola hadn't heard her laugh in months. That alp's screech was no joke, eh? she said. You all right, big boy? Carmignola did not take her hand and again tried to stand. 
He stumbled, and Beatrix caught him and hauled him up. Steady now, she said. Let's take a look. Oh, it's just a scratch. A little blood trickling from the ear never killed anybody. I told you we should have waited, Carmagnola snapped. He pointed to the dead alp on the floor of the cabin. She had looked young and beautiful, as most vampires did, when they ambushed her. But now she looked dried up and emaciated, a corpse sucked of all life. The fuck were you thinking attacking her at night? Beatrix shrugged. It would have been another night for the Alp to feed on the poor townsfolk of Mossrag. Besides, that was just the warm-up. The real fight's up in that castle on the hill. The Bruja, she meant. They had ridden into the town of Mossrag earlier that day, and were immediately bombarded with tales of a vampire that lived in the castle, and another vampire that lived in the town. The villagers implored the two monster hunters to help them. Beatrix, pleased that her reputation preceded her, went to hunt the vampiric alp in town immediately. Carmagnola tried to say they should wait, but he had never been good at telling her no. You can't mean now, Carmagnola said. He could barely stand. Of course I mean now, Beatrix said. So come on, patch yourself up and... We can't go. Carmagnola had never been good at telling Beatrix no, that was true, but he figured he had to start somewhere. We'll get ourselves killed if we rush up there half-dead. Beatrix's eyes widened. They were shiny and full of life. She only looked that way these days, after she killed a monster. You may be half-dead, but I've never felt better. Well, then I'm not going. Carmagnola steadied himself against the fireplace and thought, That'll hold her for now. I just have to stand my ground and convince her to... Suit yourself, Beatrix said. She sheathed her sword and made for the door. Carmagnola struggled to find the words to say. I'm heading to the castle. You can stay here if you want. Beatrix! Carmagnola said. He hobbled towards her, careful to avoid the Alps' blood. What are you talking about? We're her team. We stick together when we're on the hunt. You told me that, remember? That was years ago, Beatrix said flippantly. Less than two years ago. He couldn't help the anger rising in him. Something had changed. So slow he was able to ignore it the last few months, but now it seemed he had to face it head on. And anger was a better companion than fear. What's the matter with you, Beatrix? Why can't it wait a day? Because that means more people killed, Beatrix hissed. She squared her shoulders to meet Carmagnola. It's our fucking job to kill every monster we come across, as quick as we can. To do anything less is wrong. Listen to yourself, Carmagnola said. People will always get killed, whether we're there or not. We can't single-handedly rid the continent of monsters. I can try. Beatrix spun around and kicked the door open. Stay if you'd like. I won't be here when you come back. Carmagnola barely believed the words as he was saying them, but it felt right. I've known that for some time, Carmagnola thought, deep down, where I never had to face it. He waited, watching Beatrix's back at the door, feeling every muscle tense in his body. Would he be proven right? Carmagnola hoped not. He saw Beatrix shrug her shoulders and say, That's your choice. She left without turning around. 5. Beds in Aponis Mena's town square could barely fit all of the hunters. Carmagnola estimated there were three dozen or so of them in the town, which made him less than hopeful they'd be the ones to kill the creature, whatever it was. It seemed no one knew what was to be hunted, if the idle chatter around the doctor was any indication, or how much they were to be paid for its head. He shouted his eyes with his hand and saw the sun slowly setting behind the wooden buildings. He looked at the scaffold that had been built at the center of the town square, with four Nilfgaardian soldiers guarding it. 
it reminded the doctor of the midsummer feast at Kalmek, where the lord of the town ceremoniously hung the huntsman Grinholm for the murder of two dwarven children. Carmagnola was not against hanging if it was warranted, but that public display over dinner still left a bad taste in his mouth. Like the nobles cared about that, he thought. They probably thought it was a good spot of fun for the dull masses. He hoped the Nilfgaardian presentation at sunset would go better. Zevo eyed the crowd and muttered something under his breath about camp followers. Carmagnola, Ethramel, Jeremiah, and Arthur ignored him. The doctor learned on their trek down the Mahaka Mountains to leave the Witcher be when he's in a foul mood. Press the matter, and he's likely to bite your head off. Carmagnola tugged at the scarf he bought. He got a haircut and a bath as well, and still had time to see Yarno, the town barber surgeon. He was a curmudgeonly old man who told Carmagnola he would need an extra set of hands soon, once the hunters started coming back with nothing but fresh wounds and failure. They made a deal that they would split the profits that came from treating all of those wounded hunters. 50-50. More hunters filled the square. Carmagnola looked around on the ground for any sign of Otto the cat. The damned beast had a habit of disappearing the moment they stopped in a town, and reappearing only when they were about to depart. Carmagnola! The doctor looked to his right, and he nearly pissed his pants. He recognized the tanned woman walking towards him all too well. She wore spare plate armor, and her curly brown hair was tied into a neat ponytail. She sported an eye patch over her right eye, which was new to Carmagnola. A well-worn sword rested on her hip. It was Beatrix, the monster hunter Carmagnola was involved with a decade ago, and who tried to kill him two years ago. The cursed woman Carmagnola had been running from ever since and she had a companion, a muscular, olive-skinned man with lank black hair and a face that looked like unformed clay. His nose had been broken a few times in his life, one cheekbone rose higher than the other, and he had small, green eyes like a pig. He dressed as sparingly as Beatrix, with a bastard sword strapped to his back. Carmagnola thought to run, but his legs failed him. He thought to shout, but his throat failed him. He thought to shake his companions, but his arms failed him. He could do nothing but stand there as Beatrix approached, a little tentatively. I thought it was you, she said, a smile plastered on her face. She looked to her companion, then to Carmagnola's companions, then to Carmagnola. Who would have thought we'd meet here? Jeremiah, Ethramel, Zevo, and Arthur looked at the two with confusion. Beatrix, Carmagnola finally managed to stammer. It is good to see you. You look... Less manic than I last saw you, emaciated with bloodshot eyes and ashen skin and a tangled lion's mane for hair, he thought to add, but said, You look well. Are you, um, here for the hunt as well? Beatrix asked. I thought you gave up the monster hunting business. She chuckled, then frowned when Carmagnola did not respond in turn. She motioned to her lumpy-faced companion. Oh, this is Nicola of Moen. Nicola, this is Carmagnola. We're, um, we're old friends. Is that what you call it when you accuse someone of cursing you and try to murder them, Carmagnola thought? Nicola nodded and said, Nice to meet you. After a moment of silence, Beatrix cleared her throat and asked, And who are your companions? Carmagnola made the introductions. Ethramel smirked and said, Is she the... Yes. Carmagnola still had half a mind to run, but he admitted Beatrix was looking much better than when they last met. She looked... rested, like she hadn't been plagued by nightmares in some time. Sorry, I'm just surprised to see you after the... The hunters around them quieted, 
and a dark-haired woman of middling years stood on the scaffold. She said in a booming voice, It's heartening to see so many have responded to our request for the hunt. My name is Sinley Op Bryn, the new castellan of Beds in Aponis Mena. I shall get to the point, for the sooner this beast is vanquished from the land, the better it is for all. A griffin has been spotted nesting in the foothills of the Mahakam Mountains, and in the past few months has been eating our livestock. Arthur scoffed. Our livestock? The black cloaks act like they've lived in Tamaria their whole lives. Carmignola had difficulty hearing anything Senley was saying. His mind was racing as he glanced at Beatrix and Nicola. Was she putting him on? Last time they met, she tried to kill him. Now she acts as if they haven't seen each other in a decade. Carmignola didn't know what was going through Beatrix's mind, but he knew she was deadly with a sword, and not to be taken at face value. Unfortunately, this griffin killed Colin Tilt, a local farmer, not a week ago, before flying off to its nest, Senley Op Bryn continued. That was enough to convince me that action must be taken, for no citizen should feel unsafe while Imperator Emirvar Emrys sits the throne. That is why we're offering 1,200 crowns for this griffin's head. Senley paused, and the hunters began to mutter. Some looked fearful, and some looked excited, but all looked like they wanted to leave the town square. Your methods matter not to me, Senley said, as long as they are effective. We believe the griffin is nesting in the foothills south of the Carmary farmstead. Best of luck on your hunt. You can find me in the town keep if you have any questions. Senley Op Bryn stepped down, and the Nilfgaardian soldiers followed. The hunters slowly broke away, and Beatrix tapped Carmagnola on the shoulder. The doctor jumped, but had enough dignity to keep himself from screaming. Beatrix crooked a thumb towards the river's rest and said, Want to get a drink? I think we all do. Zevo bowled past everyone and headed for the inn. Jeremiah and Ethramel exchanged knowing smirks and followed the witcher. Carmagnola sighed. He made sure to stay behind Beatrix and Nicola, who talked softly to one another. The inn was rapidly filling with hunters, but Zevo found a table and Nicola went to order everyone drinks. They had all scarcely sat down before Jeremiah said, So she's the one you cursed, Carmagnola? No, Beatrix and Carmagnola said at the same time. Beatrix reddened and she looked down at the wormwood eaten table. Fuck it, Carmagnola thought, deciding there was no sense in nibbling around the edges anymore. But I must ask, Beatrix. You see, it's... Well, her... Last time we saw each other, you tried to kill me. And now you're trying to not kill me. Beatrix tilted her head at the doctor. What are you talking about? I haven't seen you since our fight with that alp. When did I try to kill you? Two years ago, in some ramshackle Tamarian town I've forgotten the name of, Carmagnola spat. You attacked me at night, saying that I cursed you and that you had to kill me for it to be lifted. I remember it all quite vividly. Nicola placed several mugs of ale on the table and sat down. He looked to Beatrix and said, Sounds to me like... Beatrix nodded. Yes. I'm sorry, Carmagnola. I didn't mean to sound flippant. I don't remember attacking you two years ago. It's true I was cursed with nightmares for several years. From a bruja, if I recall. Zevo glared at Carmagnola as he grabbed a mug. Well, that's what I thought it was back then. But turns out I didn't know much about monsters. The Bruja was actually a sorceress, and after I drove a stake through a heart while she slept, she uttered a death curse. Vivid nightmares it was to be. I saw the sorceress everywhere, awake and asleep. 
my nerves frayed. Beatrix looked to Carmagnola. I started attacking people, thinking they were the sorceress. I thought if I could just kill her, the curse would be lifted. I'm sorry to say I left a few corpses behind because of it. I'm glad you were able to escape, Carmagnola. Nicola put his arm around Beatrix's shoulder and rubbed it. We lifted the curse a year and a half ago, he said. Got advice from a witcher on how to do it. From the school of the Viper, if I recall. Zevo leaned in. Do you remember the witcher's name? Nicola scratched at his lumpy cheek. I squinted in concentration. Guess of Lyria, I think. Zevo barked laughter and muttered, Small world. Seems so, Nicola grunted. And since we're on the subject, it seems a griffin's a tall order for two hunters such as ourselves. You have to be realistic about these sorts of things. So Beatrix and I thought we could all team up to take the creature down and split the reward evenly. Absolutely not, Zevo said without hesitation. He did not attempt to hide the disdain in his voice. This is a job for a professional, so I suggest you leave it to a professional. It would be safer if you didn't go at all. Nikola of Moen nodded, unflappable. I agree, but we've got to earn a living too, same as you. It was just a thought. Who cares about that? Carmagnola stood up and stormed out at the river's rest. He'd had enough of monster hunting. Could men like that not think of anything else? The air inside the inn was positively oppressive. Carmagnola, wait. It was Beatrix, of course. Carmagnola walked faster along the darkened street, but she caught up. I don't want there to be bad blood between us. Well, maybe you should have thought about that before you tried to kill me. I told you, I only saw the sorceress, never the actual person, Beatrix said. I... Do you have any idea what you've done to me over the last two years? I've been on the run, living in fear of you. And now I learn you don't even remember it? That's not fair. It must be convenient to forget. Beatrix's face hardened, her one eye narrowed. I've forgotten nothing. I remember every nightmare. Except the one involving me. I had no idea I attacked you. Beatrix threw up her arms in exasperation. It never even crossed my mind. Why would it? I haven't thought of you at all in years. Carmagnola's stomach churned. It felt like Beatrix punctured his gut, and all of his anger was leaking out of him. Beatrix felt the shift as well. Her voice softened, and she said, Carmagnola, I... Do you know why I fucking left you? Carmagnola snarled. He feared what would happen if all of the anger dissipated, so he clung to the little bit he had left. Because you never cared about me. Even after that alp nearly shouted my eardrum. You only wanted to keep going. To kill that plowing bruja or sorceress or whatever the fuck cursed you. Beatrix's soft expression dissolved in an instant, replaced by a stony hardness. You only cared about yourself and your great mission to rid the continent of monsters. So I left, and a good thing I did, or I'd have shared that curse same as you. He shook with anger and was gasping for breath but Beatrix looked unmoved, every inch the impassive monster hunter. She said, quite calmly, We were twenty-three back then, Carmagnola. We've both changed. Carmagnola spat at Beatrix's feet and left. She watched him go. That'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Sapkowski, The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red, and The Witcher tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. 
The music is by Eric Matias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at TalesWitcherPod on X, or at TalesFromTheWitcher.Buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week.